Of the NRL All Stars podcast. This is Barnsley here for the weekly talk and footy episode. Big footy stuff been happening. Unfortunately, we couldn't get the talk and footy episode up last week, so I apologise for that once again. Did have our Super Coach episodes running smoothly though, but talk and footy is back. We are going to talk about the last couple of rounds of footy, but particularly last round. But we will mention the round before that we did miss a little bit. But to do that this week, we've got Perso on board. Perso, welcome back to the Talk and Footy podcast, mate. Good to have you. Always good with your board, Barzi, and uh, plenty happening at the moment, isn't there? There is. It's a it's a pretty big run sheet for the podcast. There's a lot of controversy, a lot of things happening, and a lot of stuff to talk about in rugby league. It's there always is. Let's talk a little bit about it before I do. Need to let all listeners know that we've got the two episodes each week to listen to. So we've got the Super Coach episodes on Tuesday, Super Coach only content for TLT and other things that we throw in there as well for your Super Coach teams. That hits on a Wednesday. Our yeah, talking footy is normally hit on a Thursday afternoon, and that's this one where we don't talk any super coaches, just all rugby league, everything that matters in rugby league, all the big stories, talk about old players and try and put a bit of a positive spin on some of it. But it's a bit hard sometimes, like at the moment, per se, with all the topics we've got for this one. Uh, be good if a lot of them didn't involve more Tigers. <laughs> oh, they just always seem to at the moment, don't they? But... You know, it's let's start off with the rounds first. So round four and five. I don't want to go through round four too much, but there was a couple of really key games that we missed talking about. Two one-point wins, which I thought were really important. Parramatta got their first win of the season, 17-16 over the Panthers in round four. And also Souths had a big win uh, against Manly, 13-12. Both those games were really good. Like it was low-scoring affairs, uh, but both of them just... It had absolutely everything. The Parramatta game, obviously we had Nathan Cleary uh, kicking at the death to send it into Golden Point. Phenomenal kick, first of all. Like, it was a, a fantastic uh, performance by Cleary to get the Panthers into extra time as it was. Yeah, and then Moses just ices it in, in extra time. That had everything that game was cracker. It was a bit disappointing that everyone focused on Cleary a little bit, wasn't it? Because it was like, oh, Cleary, is this one of the most clutch players of all time? And I, I couldn't believe some of the media because it was like, it can't be. He didn't win. <laughs> so, like, maybe talk about Moses a little bit more. Like, what Cleary did was great, but it wasn't a match winner, right? Oh, yeah, and just the narrative of everything. Like, that was the icing on the cake for Moses, really. Like, you've had the, the um, contract talks for... Oh, months on end, and it's all finally settled. And then in that game, like it, they had it, and then Cleary pulls off a miracle to get him into extra time, and then comes down to the final, final play. Look, it was the uh, match-winning play, and Moses also the field goal that won the game. Although that was just a, a fitting narrative to the the whole saga, really. Sort of got a little bit overlooked. For I mean, it was an amazing kick from Cleary, but I mean, Moses just wasn't too shabby either. It's one of those things as well that rugby league just always gives you those storylines. Like you can almost just pick the fairy tale storylines happening because rugby league just produces it time and time again. Moses under all that pressure, like you said, yeah. and then finally that week agrees to a contract with the Eels, and the week that he agrees to a massive deal, he ends up winning them a match against arguably the best side in the competition. You know, you, if you wrote a book, a fictitious book yeah. a, about a rugby league game, you would write that, except that's reality and that's what happened. Like, it was just a great storyline. But 
it's sort of getting momentum now too. The the, the Panthers Eels game. It's, it's like the um, the Broncos Cowboys sort of games for that 2015 2020 period. They just every time they play, it's just a cracking cracking game. Yeah, Parramatta is one of the few sides that seem to really trouble Penrith, um, which makes it really good because obviously Penrith have been really dominant for a few years, but Parramatta really puts it on them every time. So I, I always really enjoy it. I couldn't wait to watch that one, and it didn't disappoint. Uh, the Eels had 53% possession in that one. Probably one of the big takeaways I thought was I was really impressed with how the Eels, particularly when you're looking at a side that's got zero wins at that point, like you've got zero wins, you've got a fair bit of pressure on you as last year's grand finalist. And they came in and they just, they did their job. They completed their sets. And that's very hard to do when you've got that pressure on you. But they completed 95%. Like out of 43 sets, they completed 41 of them. That's just phenomenal, especially under the circumstances, especially under the um, pressure that Penrith put you under. It, it's it, it's no mean feat. So that really goes along to Moses and also the spine as well with how well they performed under that pressure. Yeah, they just seem to be able to turn up in those games. So the, the last couple of seasons, so they, they mightn't be travelling so well, but it's always Melbourne and Penrith. They, they seem to turn up. But they got a bit unlucky earlier this year. Probably game they should have won against Melbourne. They beat Melbourne the last two times they played them. So it's sort of they might be a bit mediocre one week, but when it comes to the Panthers and the Storm, the last couple of seasons they always just turn up and they really have a crack. They certainly do, and there was a lot of big standouts in that one. Like I thought that the um, the players at the back were pretty outstanding as well. Certainly, some of the Fords always managed to get up as well. Uh, I thought Yo was outstanding in that one. He had fifty tackles, seventeen runs, couple offloads, line break assist. He just, he was in everything. Um, and one of the things that sort of got overlooked a little bit is he just recently re-signed with Penrith after that game as well, uh, which is a really key re-signing. But it's almost a, such a yo signing, isn't it? Because he's such a low-key, does his job, doesn't really speak out of turn. And he's a really good leader, obviously, but he just, he doesn't get the headlines. And, and again, like he, he re-signed with Penrith in a really critical signing for them after that match. And you, you didn't hear anything about it, did you? No, nah, it's it's funny. It's like um, he's Origin and Test player, but Jesus, underrated, isn't he? Yeah, like it, it, he's a current a current state and Test player, but he he just seems to fly under that radar. No one sort of you know he just does his job every week. Everyone knows what he does, but never sort of gets the headlines or the accolades. That he it's funny to say, but I reckon he's un, very underrated. Yeah, I agree with you one hundred percent. The other game, the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Managing to beat the Manly Seagulls, and it was one where that was an absolute ball terror that game, wasn't it? Oh, it was, it was, and Manly really had the upper hand at half time, um, and then didn't score a point in the second half. So you know, twelve six at the half. Uh, I thought that Manly was going to go on with it. Then obviously Cody Walker scores in, in the fiftieth minute, and he's been a lot better for them lately as well. All of a sudden, we have Golden Point. And young Lachlan Elias, who I thought started off the season really well and then probably faltered a little bit. He kind of went back a little bit into the form that we saw of him last year. And I I think that he really needed that. I was pretty happy for him because Latrell, you would think, would have been the one that gets the match winner, but uh, didn't take the opportunity when he had it. And then thankfully, South actually went to Elias for it instead of going back to Latrell for another crack. uh, And Elias nailed it. So I was pretty happy for Elias in that one, but certainly... I thought it showed a bit about Manly and also South Sydney. Oh, 100%. That was, well, obviously, it was the, the John Sattler Memorial game, so they, they got up for it. But um, I still wasn't expecting that to be such a an old-school 
defensive bash and barge game does it was, which was a cracking game to watch. It was, un, it was unreal. Yeah, and yeah, Ilias nailed on that in the end. Was a, he's a good player, Ilias. He's coming along nicely. Souths have um, not really setting the world on fire. They're still doing the job. They've had a lot of middle players out, and they're another one. It's, it's a strange old comp at the moment. You look at size like Parramatta's one and five, Souths are well, two and five or something, but you're not remotely worried about their form. Yeah, and, and they've had plays out as well. Like when you have a look at that Manly game, I think one of the good things that they'll be happy with is that they ended up starting Sheikham at, at prop. Yeah. Uh, because Totola was out for them. And Sheikham came off the bench and played played prop as a starter out before kickoff. They moved him into the starting lineup. That was a small pack for the, the Rabbits against a pretty sizable Manly pack. And they managed to really put it on them as well, still, and not get dominated. So, um, big effort from South Sydney. Um, but we do need to talk about this week and focus on that a bit more. I just thought those are a couple of games that were really pretty important for us not to miss in those round four matchups. Round five, though, this last weekend, uh, the Parramatta Eels obviously riding high off their Penrith victory last week. It's one of those things that's it's almost a double-edged sword, isn't it, Perso, where you have a side that really gets up emotionally and physically for a matchup with a top team like Penrith. And then inevitably the next week, they're a little bit underdone sometimes or it's a little bit harder to keep up. Uh, the Roosters absolutely smashed them, really. Scoreboard flattered Parramatta, to be honest. Yeah, I was, I was talking to a friend of mine and, you know, the Roosters won 28-20, but I was chatting to a friend of mine that's a big Roosters supporter and I said to him at the end of that game, Robbo would be absolutely livid, that final 10 especially, because it... it Power ran in, in the 76th minute and 78th minute. And really, there was a little bit of clock off before that from the Roosters. And you could sort of see that. So certainly the game itself was more like a 40 to 6 win than a 28 to 20 match. Yep. They were never really in it, Parramatta, from the start. Well, the, the Roosters had them covered pretty well. Two minutes in, you knew the way that game was going. That, and that's sort of what I was alluding to when we we're talking about the, the round before with the, the Pan, Parramatta and the Panthers that against Melbourne and Penrith, they turn up. They're a bit up and down. The one week, they'll come out and put the best team in the comp. I'm not saying the Roosters aren't a top team, but they can't back it up. They did that all last year. They don't come out and win two great games in a row. They're up and down and up and down. And I really don't know where to put them, but um, I think the Chooks are floating along nicely. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with where they're at. Um, I think... They've had quite a few injuries. Yeah, and we've just seen today that Angus Crichton's going to make his way back next weekend. Yeah, through New South Wales Cup. And Satili Tipanu is in full training again as well, which is good news. So they're going to have some troops coming back. Uh, I thought one of the good things for the Roosters is that they completed at 85%. And, you know, as a Roosters fan myself, one of the things that I always worry about early in the season is the errors um, and not being able to put together, um, not looking as slick as what they should. Um, those are always issues. Um, errors and penalties always comes up at the start of a season when they're not running well. And look, they missed 23 tackles, but that's not too bad. But 85% completion is pretty good in that type of game. Um, Power only completed 76%. So I thought that they did pretty well in that regard. Only six errors for the match is decent for them. Um, So I think that's where they've really managed to be able to click over the wins, even when they haven't been really firing an attack. But I thought this game, their attack really came together as well. Especially considering they lost to Desco 20 minutes into the game and they're playing an Eels side that just came off a, a great win the week before. 
And they didn't have Joey Manu they, just to move straight into fullback, did they? No, that's right. He was no, he was there as well. So Sawali went. I actually thought that was the best I've seen. Sawali looked when they moved him at the back for the games he's played so far. So there was a lot to like about that for the Roosters. Yeah, I, I was really impressed with the halves as well. I thought Sammy Walker and Kiri played really well, um, and they played their own games, but they managed to come together a couple of times pretty well. JWH hasn't played much footy, comes back, just dominates. Oh, it's, you know, like people will say it's Roos's bias for me, but no, it's, he's, he's an the absolute weapon in the competition since he's come back. Mate, I love him. <laughs> he's, he's a, as an old prop myself, you know, we've had this conversation many times. He's the last of the old school props in the comp, really, isn't he? I just love him. He just does his work and he's so good at it. Well, he didn't even play 50 minutes per se. And he made almost 200 metres on 21 hit-ups. Like... Yeah, nuts. And he, he hasn't played a lot of footy. No, that's right. This season. <laughs> it's just when uh, he, he's just uh, he's just such a leader. So you mentioned losing Teddy. It's something that we've got to talk about with this game. A little bit contentious. There's been different views on it um, from around rugby league circles. For me, as a fan watching the game, uh, I saw it and I thought that could be a send-off. Uh, and look, I have to... I'm going to, I have to clarify a lot because people say, oh, you're a Roosters fan, you think it's a send-off. I actually wouldn't send it off. Like, if I was in charge of rugby league, I wouldn't send that off. Uh, but we want consistency and you need the rules applied. And from what we've seen, you know, if you've got direct contact to someone's head that's knocked them out from your shoulder, a lot of the time in the NRL, that's just a send-off. And I think that he, they got a little bit scared about doing it, and they heard on the side of caution because it was a pretty big clash at the start of the round. Um, in saying that, like, I'm happy with Tenny the Bin. Like, I, I I think Tenny the Bin's fine for that. I'm also happy with two-week suspension. I don't want him getting four weeks or six weeks or anything ridiculous, and I, and I wouldn't send him off. But it does raise a question of consistency and how they actually put the rules down when they're interpreting, uh, you know, shoulders to the head and direct contact and so forth. Well, the only consistency is there is no consistency. <laughs> Pretty much, I, I think they got that right in that one. That was a, I don't, I don't think it was a send off on the time. Ten in the bin, two weeks suspension from it. I think that's fair on the basis of the way they've been doing things. It's just hard to take as a, like a, well, you, you're a Roosters supporter, but as a football supporter, when your player goes down, you, he's off of the game and that's it. And then that guy comes back in ten minutes from it was a shoulder charge to the head, basically. Uh, it's where do they draw the line? They start to draw the line with all these head knocks and some of the ones they get put in the bin for are just ridiculous. And then the suspensions, it's the suspensions is the big part of it. You just can't keep up with how they come to their decisions on how they get one week, two weeks, no weeks. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that in a bit more detail on our other topics a bit later. Um, I will say, like I've... I've defended players like Simonson before and I'll defend him a little bit, whereas, you know, I've braced so many times. It, in the speed of a game, it, it's very hard to pull out or change. But in saying that, the couple of things that I really think hurt Simonson is I thought that it was slightly late. I'm not going to say it's, like, real late. Like, I don't think it's real late. But in saying that, we've got all these other incidents over the last few years where people say, oh, that's a heaps late shot. And they get they get in heaps of trouble for it being late. Like, Kafusi's got done for a late shot where he's out for four weeks at the moment. That was a that was close to as late. And the one thing that I was a little bit perplexed about Perso is that nobody really brought up the fact that Teddy never actually had possession of the ball like it was a bat on. It's not like he caught the ball and was ready to be a target to be tackled. 
Uh, and like there were some ridiculous comments online where people were saying that he was playing for a penalty and he, he was, um, you know, milking the tackle and all this stuff. He wasn't even looking at the defender because he actually never caught the ball to run with it. He never ran with the ball. He actually just tapped it straight on. He never actually had possession. And when you see Simonson launch, he's actually gone before the ball actually gets to Teddy. And, and that's his problem because Teddy's just tapped it. He was never really in much of a position to be hit. And this is where you can come with the consistency of what they're doing. Look at the Scott Drinkwater one three rounds ago when Corey Oates was just absolutely charging at the line. He just all Drinkwater's put his body in, in front of him and he got it wrong and broke Oates' jaw and he copped three weeks. To me, the Salmonson, like, I know the result was worse, but the Salmonson one was probably a worse shot than what Drinkwater did. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's hard, hard to think that they don't bring the injury into it when they're going into the match review committee and stuff and reviewing it because, like, you knew afterwards that Oates had the broken jaw. Well, with that, you know, with that one, what's Drinkwater supposed to do? Like, he, he's like a good barge and a charge at him. He runs and, and, you know, it happens. He's hitting the head. Fair enough. That's the way the game's gone. Yeah, there, there wasn't a lot for him to do, really. And, like, nah, and he gets three weeks for that. Simonson gets two. Simonson's. Probably had more of a chance to pull out of what he, but anyway, I don't know. That's that's the consistency side of it. Yeah, and I understand what Simonson was trying to do. He, he was going in to jam the ball and he needed Tedesco not to be able to pass that because it was a try scoring situation. Um, but the problem is that you can't get that wrong where you're putting your shoulder into someone's head. And Teddy only drops very marginally. Like that was going to be high regardless of anything, you know, and I don't actually think Teddy changed much from where his stance was. And the only reason that he's slightly bent is because he's tapped the ball on. Like he's, when you pass the ball, you naturally bend to pass your ball. You're bending at your knees to pass it. That's what you do. You're not standing up as straight as possible. It's, I I think that they got it basically right. Um, I was disappointed in some of the commentary around it. Yeah. Teddy's obviously out for that 11 days too. And is that something that needs to come into it more per se? Because this is the other wrinkle in it now. A couple of weeks ago, we've got the new concussion rule. Tedesco is now not just out for that game. And with the ability to be able to pass his, his test during the week and play the next week, he's now actually out that next week being this round coming. So when you now have players that if they have head contact, have a, a decent chance of being out two games, not just the one they're going off for, that's when you have to start to question, well, how is this judiciary process working? How do send-offs actually work to benefit that team that they've actually infringed against? Yeah, it's a tough one, Barzi. It's, um With all the, the product, new protocols around the head knocks and stuff that have been brought in the last 18 months, it's, it's sort of hard to know what's the right move to do, but it, it is definitely a, a bit of pill to swallow. Like, you, you, like is, is that open up the door you can take out, like Tedesco? It wasn't, it's not saying he was deliberately taken out, but you know what I mean? Could possibly take out the best player and he misses 11 games and the other guy gets to play out that game and then misses two weeks. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. Like, the bunker comes into other things. Once it's been, like, is there a case for the bunker to come in and say, well, okay, after he's been rubbed out and that was fairly on, on report and he's going to be suspended, then does the bunker come in and say, right, well, he's gone. It's not tending to men, he's gone. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Look, I, I'm always I'm always one for wanting, like, I don't know. I always say that I like the action to be punished. I, I don't really like the result because it's hard, mate, because sometimes, like, um, you, you look at Kalen Ponger as an example. You know, Kalen Ponger, it might be a really innocuous hit that you don't even know has happened. And then all of a sudden, you've brushed him on the side of the year, and he's out for the game. And then, you know what, Fanua Blake or whoever gets tapped on the shoulder and says, mate, 
Pong is out for the game after you touched him before. You've got to go off. You know, it, it opens up that can of worms, unfortunately. So I don't think that quite works. Um, so it's it's when the bunker deem it to be a reportable offence. That's when they step in. And maybe in that situation, I don't know. It's it's just it's 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 hard to know what to do with all this the headlock era that we're going into. Very difficult. Um, I don't think that Simonson had any uh, malice in it or anything, and I think that the what happened was fair and how it was handled and stuff. I'd like to see it handled consistently, though, which is always what we want. But yeah, whether we get that or not, we'll have to wait and see because probably we're not going to. Penrith absolutely flexed their muscles for this premiership. Finally, really struggled at the start of this season to put on a lot of points. Uh, they've gone through halves of football to start matches and not been able to score. 53 to 12 over the Raiders. And even more impressively is that they did that at GIO Stadium. I thought, especially in the second half, Penrith were really good, ripping them to shreds in that back line. Uh, guys like Tango, as well as Cleary, were really orchestrating a lot of that attack. But even Luai, I thought, played himself into a bit of form because I thought he's been pretty poor this year. Uh, really, the whole Penrith backline really just nailed Canberra. Uh, and I thought it was a probably a sign that the Panthers might have gotten some confidence back out of that one. But is it more of a case per se where the Raiders were just exceptionally poor? They only completed at 68%. They were competitive in the first half, but they ended up missing 51 tackles against Penrith. 51 tackles. That is extraordinary. Yeah, <laughs> they were right in that game at halftime. A couple of things that could have gone there. Like, like it could have even been locked up at halftime, but they are only down 12-6. In the second half, yeah, they just got blown off the park. They were terrible. Uh, defensively, Panthers have been good. They're, even though they haven't been at their top, they've still been defensively. They're the best defensive side of the comp still. But, yeah, they just blew um, blew the Raiders off the park in the second half. You can understand why <laughs> Ricky was left a bit, uh, old Stiggy's left a bit. Didn't know what to say after that, but um, they were poor with the Raiders, and I think they just played Penrith back into form. I'm worried that um, that would have played them back into form as well, like uh, whoever Penrith gets in the next few weeks, I think would be uh, a bit annoyed at the Raiders' form. But uh, they were missing Jack White, and it does make some difference. But, you know, we've spoken about how well Penrith played. What do you make of Canberra now? Because, you know, they're really struggling to get anywhere near the top eight. And that was – we talk about Penrith being played into form. That's the type of game that can scar Canberra as well for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, well, yeah, Jack White is not worth 50 points, is he, in defence? <laughs> that's, that's, uh, I know he's a very valuable player to the Raiders, but um, just, they just fell apart in that second half. Uh, I know they started slow last year, and a lot of the talk was that um, Fogarty was out. And when Fogarty came back in the, the mid part of the season, they started putting wins together, and they, they made a run and made the eight. They got a similar sort of draw this year at the back end. That It's very favourable to them, but I don't know. They just look. Completely out of sorts, the Raiders. Not as bad as the Tigers, but they look, <laughs> they're just not, they don't, um, don't look like troubling too much, the Raiders. That's the thing. Um, we spoke about how well Souths did the week before to get that victory against Manly by the one point margin in Golden Point. Storm have been struggling as well, um, playing away from Amy Park. I think a lot of people thought Souths would go along and get a win there. Um, but Melbourne came out and actually, Ended up putting the Souths a little bit, and they came on top 18-10 in that one. A little bit surprising. I actually thought that there was a little bit of an upset on the cards, but not many people seemed to believe it was coming. They did that without Jerome Hughes, and I I think that was probably one of the most impressive things. They've actually had a few players. Everyone talks about Melbourne unearthing players, but they've done wonders for Katoa's career. He looks fantastic on that edge. 
uh, at the same time as well, Josh King is playing significantly better football than what he was playing at Newcastle, and he was actually a pretty dominant middle forward in this game. Uh, and obviously Munster's back, and you can tell that, and that's sort of softened the blow of the fact that, that Hughes has been out the last couple of weeks. But I think a lot of people expected South to really give it to Melbourne a little bit for a big matchup for them. And most importantly, I don't mean to say it in just about every episode that we have at Talking Footy, Latrell Mitchell was quiet again, and Demetrio came out afterwards, and I'm glad that he did. And he actually was honest about it and said Latrell needs to get himself into the games a bit earlier on. He's got to get himself more involved, and he's got to get into the game earlier. Because when he did get involved in the game a bit later on, with about 20 to go, he had a uh, line break try assist, and he, he did a couple of good things, but it was just too late because Melbourne had just sort of strangled that game away from him. Yeah, it was a, finally a bit of a, a Melbourne-type Melbourne performance. Defensively, they were, they were very good. Uh, I, I actually picked Melbourne in that game purely on the back that South haven't beaten Melbourne for eight years. That was a, a, a stat that came along. I thought, yeah, right, I'll jump on board with that. I'll take the upset. I really liked Demetrio as a coach. I like his honesty in, in the press conferences too. I thought he summed it up pretty well. Off the emotion and the win that South had against Manly the week before, you probably would have expected a fair bit more out of them. And I, I, Latrell has been fairly quiet this year. I won't say he's been poor. He's been quiet. He, he's not a Tedesco type, but he's going to be in the game and make a 1,000 metres and 1,000 runs. But normally there's a moment to be on, and he's on, and he'll, he'll create it. He, I think he's just been very quiet this year. I'm not sure whether he had that knee injury in the second round or he's a bit unfit or whatever it is, but um, I did quite like that Demetrio sort of cooled it, and he needs a bit more from, from the trail. It's something that I've thought that Souths have lacked in their management from Latrell, but I've always felt just from watching Latrell and seeing how things unfold in his career and stuff, I've always felt that he occasionally needs to be challenged. And I always thought that Trent Robinson definitely did it. Like Trent Robinson famously dropped him to the Wyong Roos for three weeks when he wasn't up to standard or doing the things that he needed to or doing what he was being asked. And Trent Robinson can do that tough love. He got to South, so, and it always seemed to be cotton wool for Latrell. Uh, and some of the hard truths that maybe needed to be thrown out there, although constructively, so he'd actually respond to it, just didn't seem forthcoming. And especially from someone like Wayne Bennett, it was just never going to be. Whereas Demetrio, you know, has really challenged him last week and he's thrown it down now and he's given Latrell a fair crack. He's given him a month of footy. And he said, look, you've got to do more. You've got to be more involved. You're an important part of the side and you're not coming through, basically. And I love that. I think it's fantastic. I'd love to see more coaches do it with some of the stars like Latrell because they're going to be better for it. Yeah, I'll, 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 there's a lot to like about Demetrio. I've watched a lot of his uh, post-patch conferences and interviews he's had, even on podcasts with Josh Graham and things like that. He's, he's just a really honest. He's right out there. And I, uh, I really like his attitude and when he's putting down. So I won't be surprised if Latrell comes out and kills it this week. I think he's got to, against, uh, I know the dogs are a bit depleted in the middle, but um, I think he's, there'll be a point to prove this week. I reckon he will too. Uh, and look, I made a comment on Twitter that, you know, I said Latrell can be the most dominant player in the league. He can be the best player in the league and sometimes he is, but he's got to do more. He, at the moment, he's just not doing enough. And there's a, he, He's not been playing poorly, Barnsley, but look, we're talking about one of the superstars of the game here. We're not talking about it like a Dane Laurie. We're talking about Latrell Mitchell holds him. He's got a, a standard to set to himself because of what he can do. That, and that's like, like, yeah, he's been potter along, hasn't been playing badly, but he's not been playing anywhere near as 
well as Latrell could play. Well, he's also a leader of that team. So when you've got a big matchup against a side like the Storm, you, know, you lead from the front. And you don't have to be a front rower to lead from the front on the field. He's got to get his hands on the ball. You, you can't have three runs at halftime. That's just unacceptable. But I'll tell you what, I'll leave you on a stat with this one and we'll jump on to the next game. The Rabbits had 54% possession and 67% of the territory in this game. And they still lost to Melbourne. So they definitely had their chances, the Rabbits. Um, moving right along, we had our first drawn game per se, of the 2023 season. Who would have thought over at old Glen Willow Oval that we'd get a 32-32 scoreline from the Manly Seagulls versus the Newcastle Knights? I think everybody expected Manly to trounce the Knights, but the Knights keep gritting their teeth and sinking their feet into the into the grass and just not giving an inch. And it's really, really great for Knights fans that they're that competitive. And you can see the emotion on the Knights as well. Like they're, they're really loving getting in the match and being competitive, and they don't think that they're going to get flogged or lose games. And it's showing in their attitude. Technically, it mightn't have been the most um, perfect game of football, but Jesus, it was a cracking game to watch. It reminds me of one of those park games, doesn't it? Like, you know, you, you just get those 38, 32, 32 score lines, but, you know, you, you get a lot of those sort of both teams scoring in the 30s or one in the 40s and one in the 30s in the park footy, and they just keep going hmm. at each other. I, so I, I thoroughly enjoyed that game. Um, <laughs> they are playing at, at, at Mudgy in the park, so maybe it was a bit of park footy, but I thought it was a, I thought it was a cracking game of footy. <laughs> Neither coach, neither coach would be happy with it, but as a, a fan watching it, I thought it had everything. Well, how good were the Knights' wingers? If we want to pinpoint some performances, Dom Young four tries, four line breaks, and drop him every second week. <laughs> Eighteen runs for two hundred twenty-seven <laughs> meters, but like even Big Marzu, mate, like he he had a try, he had two line breaks, seven tackle breaks, and he ran for over two hundred meters himself with twenty-three runs. That's, if you read Marju's stats, you think he was the one that scored four tries. Yeah. Not young. Like, it was just ridiculous. But having <laughs> Marju being Marju, I don't know if you noticed that when he came like racing down the line and for the Sibilotu try, he just got caught so badly out of position. Like, it was Mate, horrendous. he was at Mudgy Mackers. His teammates were looking around to see where he was. He was nowhere near the field. Like He wasn't there, there yeah. at all. Yeah, lucky. Lucky for him that Lockie Miller had that moment in the first half where he was just dancing along the sideline watching Okolato score. Oh, that was that was bad as well. I, I don't even know what Lockie Miller was thinking at that point. Like, <laughs> it's. Do, do you think that he was trying to avoid the contact, or what do you think even happened? Because I couldn't even tell how. Oh, I don't know. I'm sitting there watching it. Okolato just burst through, and I'm waiting for. He's just. Dancing across the end ball line. Like, what the hell's going on here? He's just letting him in. He's in. He scored. <laughs> like, uh, at the last minute, you sort of see Miller look at his feet and go, oh, I, I, I don't know. There's been so, I refuse to believe that you could be playing first grade and not know the difference between the trial line and the 10 metre line. And even if he did, he still made no movement whatsoever towards the player that's just made the pass. He's like six metres from the sticks. <laughs> like... Yeah. You can see where it is. So there's there's goalposts there. It was bizarre. It's like watching that. <laughs> the big kids made a break, and oh, I don't want to borrow this. I just let him in. <laughs> it's like uh, they had everything that game. Uh, it, it was a pretty good game of footy, but you know we've spoken a lot about Newcastle's courage and, and how well they've gone. We've got to be serious about Manly though. That's a couple of losses on the trot now, and you'd think that after last week losing against South by one that they would have turned up this week and gotten the win against Newcastle. 
uh, and really they should have. So they should have, yeah. Is the Seabold Macca's run taking its toll the last couple of weeks? <laughs> is it, or is maybe Seabold's coaching um, maybe you know not quite where it needs to be at? You know, we saw this at the Broncos a little bit. I know the Broncos had really no success under Seabold, but it didn't start as badly as what it ended up finishing. Is there inklings of that, do you think, Perso? Because that's a pretty bad loss. And like you said, it was bad footy from both sides in this one, really, at an NRL level. Yeah, uh, like I said, it was an entertaining game as a fan, but neither coach would have been happy with the performance from either side. It's pretty ordinary. But um, I don't know. So they've started well, mainly, as you said, the South loss and that loss. Uh, is it too? I think it's too early to go after Seabolt at this point. We'll wait and see what happens in the coming weeks. This week would be a good test for them against Penrith to see where they're at. 49 missed tackles isn't going to cut it against Penrith, I can tell you oh, that. If they right get now. towed up by Penrith this week, if they perform like that again this week, Penrith will absolutely carve them and yeah, then they'll, they'll be the alarm bells will definitely be ringing. So another team that's been lauded as a potential, well, really this was a potential spoon battle with the Dragons versus the Dolphins in the preseason. They were the two favourites. Dragons came out 38 to 12, absolutely demolished the Dolphins. I don't think the Dolphins were really ever in this. The Hammers scored in the 71st minute, but, you know, and they got the first try in the 13th minute, but everything in between in the main footy match, it was all, it was all Dragons. And they seemed to be having a fair bit of fun with it too. They were scoring a lot of tries, the Dragons. And I think the writing was on the wall a little bit. It was obviously at Wynn Stadium, which is, Always the thing, the Dolphins started off playing at home for a couple of weeks, and that was always going to be a lot easier at Redcliffe, uh, and especially playing at Redcliffe at the start when they've just entered the competition. A lot of emotion there, a lot of fan support. Going away, it was always going to be a bit harder. Uh, but they also ended up at a point where they had Milford playing seven with Katoa at six. And now, obviously, we've got um, Katoa out as well. Uh, but Marshall King did come back for them. Is the Dragons' season shaping up to be better than what we thought? or did the Dolphins play him into form? How did you really see this one unfold? I picked the Dragons. I didn't pick it to be that big of a win. The only game I got wrong in the weekend was the draw between Manly and Newcastle. But um, the bubble was always going to burst for the Dolphins. It's hard to stay up on emotion for that long. They've had a couple of significant outs. O'Sullivan being out is massive for them. That, it was always going to be the problem with Dolphins this year. They'd, they got no depth whatsoever, especially in key positions. And I think we saw here that they just can't find the points with, with a lot of the first-grade teams. Like, you're relying on Milford and Katoa. And Milford went off as well. Like, so it's mm. not that like, Milford's a key player these days, but they just had nothing. The Dragons were way too good. Well, talking about way too good, I don't really want to do it to you, but I will. 46-12, to 12, the Broncos demolished your Tigers. and uh, I think the uh, the Broncos need to be berated that they didn't put 60 on in that game. The Tigers were just awful. Like, I don't know any other way to put it. If, like, it just... If I, was, if I was Kevin Waters, I would have given the Broncos a surf and not been able to put 60 or 70 on that side. Fuck, well, like, Barty, the Tigers are absolutely woeful. It is... I, I, I can't put my finger... I've... <laughs> I've been involved in footy for a long time, you know, different levels and coaching and kids and the rest of it. I look at the way the Tigers are playing, and it's like watching the way I got coached in under 12s. Hit it up, hit it up, hit it up, and then just throw it out the backs and through the hands. Like this is, I'm going back into the early 90s style of football. Run up, one up, throw it to the backs, through the hands. That's it. They just got 
absolutely nothing. There's no shape, there's no direction, no one plays direct, the, the halves aren't running the line. When if slow forwards finally do get a quick play of the ball, Abby takes off and no one's with him. It's, I, oh, I'm at a loss, mate, to be honest. I'm just at a loss as to what the hell is going on. Well, it's, it's fair to bring up their attack, and we've talked about their attack a lot on this podcast as well, but... You know, the other the elephant in the room is that their defence is just as bad. Well, defence their defence has been decent until last week. They got cowed up last week. Prior to that, they sort of been holding into games to a degree. But the whole it just looked to me that Broncos game just looked like they have this is back to what the Tigers were last year. Don't want to be there. And this is four rounds in, so it's gonna be a bloody long season. From the the ninth <laughs> minute, there was five tries in the in the next twenty five minutes. Yeah. Like just, that's horrendous. At a first grade level, to concede five tries in twenty five minutes, the way that those tries were conceded, like the Jordan Ricky try, he just he just run through, and and the big six foot four second row has just thrown a step on and just gone over virtually untouched. Like, but to go back to what's going on, Dewey at fullback, he's not a fullback, and he got just uh, um, uh, Dewey's a good five eight, he's not a fullback, so he just got caught out of position time and time again on the weekend, and the Broncos just exposed it. They absolutely took advantage of him not being there. And we haven't spoken much about Reese Walsh on the podcast as much as what we should. His form has been scintillating, and we have to say it again like he's got three tries, his two line break assists, and two line breaks of his own in this game. He absolutely carved the Tigers, and he also carved them up as a quality performance where he wasn't involved in the first few tries. You know, like he he wasn't even he was having a quiet first half for the first quarter. The one for me was that Payne half strike. Oh yeah, he had a hit up prior and the offload, and they went to dummy half, just picked the ball up and just barged over like he's playing under sixes. And and you don't see that often, right? Like you have to you have to look at that a little bit like more. That. that was embarrassing. Like Payne Haas is bloody good. Let's not take anything away from Payne Haas. But that was embarrassing. It is because you've got to look at it from the fact that, it, I mean, when I say you don't you don't see that, I'm not saying that you don't see tries like that scored. I'm saying that players like Payne Haas don't even attempt it. They don't even jump into dummy half at NRL level because they know it's a bad play. It's, it's not a play they should be making. And it's not going to have success at NRL level, but... He's obviously seen this is the Tigers. It's like playing a flog, like flogging a team over in the park, just having fun. I'm going to go in and just get myself a try. I think it was the fourth tackle too. So Reynolds would have been calling the play and he's just overridden Reynolds. Now I'll get this. I'm just going to pick this up and barge over. It's not like you're playing, um, it's not like you're playing the Cook Islands in a World Cup. This is NRL. And that's what, it, that was embarrassing. So the Broncos side of things, we should give them credit for the, uh, the attack that they had, it was fairly scintillating. Uh, obviously, Adam Reynolds is doing a, a great job at seven as well. Um, and Reese Walsh has absolutely set him on fire. I thought Mam's been a little bit quiet, but, you know, they've got the other guys now in that team in that spine to be able to run the attack. But it's got to be said, like, it's it's hard because it has to be said that the Broncos are going awesome. They're, they're number one on the ladder. They're the only team that's undefeated. But you just keep seeing these games pop up week after week to start the season, and they just they're all... Pretty easy contest for them. You'd want to be undefeated with that draw. Like, seriously. That draw that the Broncos got is just ridiculous. Not even just not even leaving Queensland. Like, they've got like seven out of nine games at Suncorp in the first nine rounds. It's just, it's absurd how good that yeah, draw is. Yeah, well, I mean, they've only left Queensland once. But credit to the Bronx. They're, they're doing the job and they're getting it done. But 
you'd want to hope so. If they weren't getting it done with that draw, then there'd be massive alarm bells. Yeah, I mean, their only game away from home in those first five rounds is against Penrith in round one. And that was a 13-12 victory. So, I mean, credit to them there. But we all know as well that Penrith uh, started the season pretty underdone as well. So I I don't want to take credit away from the Broncos. Like Percy said, you've got to play what's in front of you and they've done a stellar job at doing that. But I'm... Oh, they're the form team of the comp. Don't get me wrong. But we've got to reserve some judgment a little bit until their draw starts to toughen up and to see whether they can continue with it. Because, I mean, I guess in the back of all our minds, we did see this last year with a draw that was probably harder than this to start with. They started great. They were sitting in the top four and then the Tigers beat them in round 16 and they fell <laughs> <laughs> well, Wayne didn't even make the eight, so <laughs> so mate, your Tigers have got hopes still, but you know they they can get them back later on. But the Sharkies and the Warriors, the Warriors were down by twenty points in the first half. Another cracking game that neither the coach sh- would be happy with. <laughs> well, the Sharks just tore them apart. Like I was, I was sitting there watching it, and the shape of the Sharks attack, it was just going to Nico and the, he had runners on either side and it was just going through the hands in the back line and it was just so smooth and sleek. It was so like, unstoppable. It reminded me of one of those trial runs when you had the old kangaroo tours and it's like, oh yeah, the kangaroos are going to play like France third division team yeah. as a warm up, And it's like, they're just going through the motions, just doing a training drill and they get going over untouched every, you know. Oh, it was so silky. Everything they did was just like... 3,000 miles quicker, and it was like it was just outstanding. <laughs> and in the second half, a bit of rain comes down, SJ comes out of the box. And well, the Sharks just couldn't find any points, could they? It was just all over for their scoring. No, but credit to the Warriors, they got right back in that game, and um, credit to them for winning. It was, it was a cracking game. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that game. Well, one of the other things in this game, too, is that. Uh, obviously, the Sharks' defence didn't hold up in the second half. It was really the Warriors did to the Sharks what the Sharks did to the Warriors in the first half. So you're right. Both coaches would yeah. be pretty annoyed with the defensive efforts on either side. I I think that the 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 big thing for the Warriors is I, I keep saying quite often when I talk about footy in 2023, I'm not a believer in the Warriors yet. Uh, I know that they've had some good wins and I know their defence has been good. I'm not getting on board yet. I can't do it because we've seen it from the Warriors before. This win, if if any Warriors side in the last 10 years played that game, the Sharks would have gone on with that and won by at least 20, if not 30 points, every single year that we had a Warriors side in the comp. But they didn't do that. And I think that showed a lot of resilience and resolve and really displayed the attitude of this new Warriors side that they're different from some of the other Warriors teams in the past decade. And for me, the, the big test of the Warriors comes this week. They should beat the Knights this week on form. Yeah, and and they hopefully will learn from that defensive lapse because their defence has been really good up until that point where the Sharks really tore them to shreds. Nico was good again. He didn't have any ball in the second half. And I think that this game also, one of the things I was super interested in, I think it really showed a blueprint for teams that are trying to nullify Nico Hines. He's a phenomenal player. He was involved in everything in the first half. But the Warriors did a great job of starving the Sharks a possession, starving the Sharks a field position where they, when they had possession, they were having to work out from their own half. So Nico just didn't have an opportunity, did he? Uh, and when you did that, he got completely taken out of the game the second half. Yeah, that's a key blueprint for sure. Get the ball away from 
when they get the momentum up the middle, that's where the Sharks just roll on. And Nico goes from left to right, right to left, just goes all over the field. It's the quick play of the balls, and they play that up-tempo style. That's definitely the key to try and nullify the Sharks. Mm. Well, it'll be interesting how the Sharks bounce back, but also how the Warriors go on with it in, in this next round of footy. The last game of the round was the Dogs versus the Cowboys. And I actually tipped the Dogs in this one. Uh, the Cowboys obviously haven't been going too well and they weren't playing this one at home. And look, I th- I just have to say it outright. Burton had a massive field goal to win this one in Golden Point in the 85th minute. And he did not get near the accolades or attention that what Cleary's drop goal got the week before. <laughs> and Cleary didn't win it. Like This was a match winner. I thought that it was an amazing strike from Burton. Oh, it was huge. It was absolutely pissing down that game too. Terrible conditions for a, for a uh, kicker. Yeah, he just asked it. And he missed one earlier. And you listen to the interview with uh, with Grub Reynolds afterwards saying, they got in, they've got in the huddle and they said, no, I've got this. Like Burton said, well, I've got this, give me the ball, I'm going to nail it. And he did. Yeah, look, I love Matt Burton. I think that he's been he's questioned a little bit from different fans or different circles of the media at times. He's about his patchy form at times. He started last year pretty slow. His first two games this year were really slow for him. But... That, that's the sort of attitude that they need to recruit. Like if you're a losing club, you need leaders like Matt Burton in it that want the big moments that want to win the games and can actually deliver, and he did. The Dogs have got a thousand middle forwards out at the moment too, so they're in that game and they get to the moment. and that, It looked Burton nice and he killed it. So that's exactly what you want out of Burton. Imagine playing with that pack though. Like you're a half and you're playing with that Dogs pack and then you've got Preston and Max King, the, the best forward in their team by a country mile, take and each other out. Each other out. <laughs> You'd have to be sticking as a half. Jesus, I'm never going to see the other end of the field again. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it, it, the cows, it was one of those games. The cows were always in it. They were, so it was a tough game, and well, that was a great win for the Dogs. It was. Uh, both the Wiggins as well, I'm going to pinpoint. Um, Ado Cars returned to form a little bit of late. You know, I, I really don't like it that... I love Adokar as a player. I don't like it when he just gets handed this credit that, oh, he's, you know, playing awesome. Because a lot of the, because he's not all the time. Like the first half of last year before Origin, he wasn't playing good footy. And you can pinpoint different reasons and whatever, you know, the dogs weren't going well, this and that, whatever. He, he wasn't playing good footy. He wasn't making an impact. And the same thing at the start of this year, like he didn't start phenomenal and neither did the dogs. But this... This game, he was a lot better. He's doing the things that he needed to. You know, when he got the ball, he finished a pretty hard try for them. That was his best game of the year. Two line breaks, Easily. too. He had another line break. I don't care. It's one of those guys. Like, he's he, he's electric when he wants to be, but he's not a, a an active winger. Uh, there's a lot of people who, oh, he shouldn't have been it. Like, there's no way he shouldn't have been in the origin side last year. I got, he didn't deserve to be in that origin side last year. On form, they picked Tupo and Taro, and I had no problem with that. No, that's right. When you've got a winger, especially, like you have to, you have to display some sort of form to keep your position. And I, I think that the wing spots for New South Wales, there hasn't been much incumbency there where anyone's held them for a number of years. Where they, you know, it's their jersey. Nah, and Tupo sort of got dropped on him, and he was probably arguably playing his best footy three or four years while he was dropped, and then got back in. There was no. No reason why he shouldn't have been there. And he was one of the Blues' best in that first game. And then Fox goes away at the World Cup and he storms that. It was awesome. But he hasn't come back and set the world on fire so far this year. And then, oh, But I do think that was his best game 
this year for sure on the weekend. Yeah, I agree with you. And one thing I'll give him credit for too is that some of the things that got overlooked at the start of last year was he had some really bad defensive reads. Some of his defensive decisions were really bad. And he's been better at that this year. And he's also played this game now that this is a sort of game that you expect from Fox when he's at the top of his game. And, and like, I want to see it. Like, I'd like to see him in the Origin team. Well, I've got no problem if he gets picked in the Origin side. If he, he can rack up four or five games in a row where he's playing at his best, that what the Fox can do defensively and in attack. Yep, 100%. I mentioned Max King got hurt. He, he went on and sold it on like a trip. Really I have good. to say, how good has he been? Like, he has been so much better than I thought he was. Like, I, I liked him last year. And last year, some of the things I liked about him was he, he had a great offload and he had a little bit of attack in him. That's gone this year, and he's just put the whole pack on his shoulders and just said, I'm just going to run the ball 20 times a game, play 60 minutes as a prop. He's just getting through so much work. Oh, it's crazy. And the, the amount of metres and everything else, like he is carrying that pack. And I have to say, like you talk about um, some players getting more media attention or spotlight than others, Max King's getting none. Like he, he is legitimately one of the top front row forwards at the moment. I'm not going to say he's the best front row in the comp or anything, but like... Oh, 100%. On for, I totally agree with you, Barzi. On for, he would be. And or most pundits out there that aren't um, footy diehards and everyone that plays in every team wouldn't even yeah. know who he is. They'll see the dirty mode too and just write him off. <laughs> Forget about him, mate. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I, he's been outstanding for the dogs this year. Yeah, I, I reckon he's a smoky representative player of the future. Um, in the near future, I should say. That's why I think he's a smoky. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if... I'm assuming he's New South Wales. I'm pretty sure that he is. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if you have, like, a, a junior Paulo suspension, suspension happen and uh, maybe another middle forward injured. He's the type of player where you wish there was still the old city country. Yeah, because I reckon he would he'd, rip in, wouldn't he'd, he? He'd get a gig in that and he would just rip in and tear and everyone would know who he was. Yeah, I, look, I, I really, I really, really rate him. Can- Canterbury's got a really good player on their hands in him and if they didn't have him, that forward pack would absolutely be skittled every week by the opposing forwards if he wasn't there. Um, but need to move along. Uh, the other thing that happened from the end of this round, we had uh, Hip Drop Sunday, as it's now known. Oh. Hip Drop Sunday. <laughs> Let's talk about this. So we had three hip, top, hip drops that were all resulting in sin bins. Having said that, Dale Finucane and Jackson Ford happened in the same game. Uh, Jackson Ford first, and then it was almost like they put themselves in such a corner that Finucane always had to go, and the Sharks... Were any of them an actual hip drop, Marzi, in your opinion? Well, I mean, this is the thing, right? And look, when I've had very heated disagreements about this, and, and I'm fine, like if people want to disagree with me, that's cool. I don't take it personally, and it's all about footy, so, you know, I'll disagree with people I know, and including on Twitter, which there was a few, and that's cool. We disagree. We'll move on. But I'm going to state my case. To me, a hip drop tackle from what the NRL was trying to get rid of, Perso, is somebody specifically put a a tackling technique in place where they grab someone from behind, position themselves, and then drop all their weight onto the back of a player's legs. And to do that, (laughs) you can see it very clearly. Exactly. I don't think that we could see clearly that any of those players premeditated to do it. The, the Ockenball one is ridiculous. <laughs> it's not a hip drop. Finucane's wasn't a hip drop. You look at the Tyrrell Fumuano last year when he, in the trial at the start of the season, 
and that was a hip drop where he went out on Hayes Dunster and Dunster did he, every shape of his knee was gone. Yeah, and like to me, you can see it. And like I, I know NRL physio, you know, disagreed with me a little bit, and that's fine. All credit to physio um, because he had like the the parameters, the three indicators of what a hip drop tackle is. And the the first one was um, swiveling around the waist. Second one was dropping down low. And the third one was putting pressure and body weight on the back of the legs. Now, I argued that the first two is every tackle, right? Every tackle, you hit and you yeah. swivel because you're, that's how you're taught to tackle for about 108 years. And you can't disappear. And then it's just a matter of what happens. And my, I mentioned in my haste and anger about these hip drop charges, I accidentally said Jackson Ford for the Warriors. It was Nakore. Poor yeah. Nakore, I thought he was the hardest done by out of anyone. And the Warriors have... There's no way in the world that was a hip drop, Nakore. I don't understand when you've got the, the value of being able to review it on a video, how you get it so wrong. And I also don't understand how then the match review committee can double down and say you're out of footy for a few weeks. Because that one... Like, for the people that disagree with me, okay, this is the scenario. Talakai is a power runner. He generates a huge amount of power. So when he hits a line, he skittles defenders. You do not stop Talakai. You slow his momentum down. He skittled those two defenders. And one of them dropped off the side. And the other one was Nakore, who was just holding on. He got spun around by Talakai's momentum and he's running through the line. He only ended up at the back of him because of Talakai running through him. You can't change physics. That's always going to occur. And then in that situation, what's he supposed to do? Just let go and let And this run. is the argument, right? He didn't purposely try and do a hip drop. Um, he ended up being spun around and then basically holding on for his life. You know, we all see like junior footy. It's like the the front rower who's, you know, 80 kilos and he's only eight. And the little half at the weight's 34 kilos, jumping on his back and just holding on for a ride and hoping that somehow, you know, he ends up on the ground with him. You know, that's... That was pretty much what it was. He was getting carried through the line and he's just ended up being spun around by the momentum. And all he did was just not let go. And if you're around someone's waist and they're making a break, you're allowed to just not let go and hang on. You know, and sometimes there's just incidental incidents per se where something happens in footy. That was an incidental incident. He did not purposely go in. 100%. That wasn't a hip drop, but that is what the NRL are looking at and saying it's a hip drop. I get it with the crusher tackle and chicken wings and all that sort of stuff with the, the rest of it, but th- they're looking for something that's not there, in my opinion. This hip drop stuff is just, it's its crazy. And to be getting 10 in the bin for stuff like that too, it's just like... Well, it ruins games. And, and to me... Oh, it's absurd. It's, there's, there is the argument that, well, it doesn't mean whether it's premeditated or you mean to do it. If it happens, then you've got to be punished. The problem with that is that... The whole basis of punishment, and and to me, like, if you want to blow a penalty for that, okay, just in case, just to make sure everyone stays in line a little bit. But when you're talking about extreme punishment, to me, extreme punishment in in rugby league is sending someone off the field, whether that's 10 minutes or completely, and having multiple weeks on the sideline. That's extreme punishment. Now, if you're going to have extreme punishment, you're doing it because you want to deter and change behaviour. If somebody didn't mean to do it, they can't change the behaviour and it's going to happen again. So why are we doing it for? What did they do wrong? Oh, I seriously don't think there's a hip drops. It's just tackling. <laughs> they get caught, the leg, legs get caught up. Like It's not deliberate. They're not deliberate. Like, I know what the hip drop was. They're deliberately jumping on and 
pulling you from your your hips and your waist down on putting all your weight on the back of the players' legs to bring them down. It's just happening. People get tangled up. Like you, you can't get you can't be setting players off for getting tangled up in tackles. Well, also puts you. What sort of control do you reckon you'd have holding on to Talakai's waist while his legs are pumping at the speed they were? Like you look at his legs. They were just pumping his legs. Like, you've got no control at all. And, and people that say, oh, well, it's the defender's responsibility to have control. You can't tackle like someone, Talakai, that, and have control of him. You can't. He's a runaway bull. You've got to grab onto whatever you can and use whatever momentum you can to stop him. Oh, look, one thing that I will say, just so I'm a little bit impartial per se, I did think that the difference with Ockenbohr especially, but also to a lesser degree for Nukin, Ockenbohr did use his leg. And I think that that's what hurt him as well. Like he actually spun his leg around almost like those, you know, old school Alfie Langer trips a little bit where you try and, you know, get someone over. Um, so, I mean, I think that him using his leg made it worse than what it was. And it also put him in a position where he was dropping his weight down. Yeah, so I, I did see a little bit different with Ockenball. But, I mean, look, you're looking at these charges. You've got guys up to three weeks on the sideline. And this is the next point that I want to put to you, right? Um, with these judiciary charges, there's going to be the argument that, oh, well, you know, it has to be getting out. We have to get down to the game. I've already said that I don't think that, you know, for the large part that these were specific defensive techniques that were employed. It just happened during the speed of a tackle and the momentum and physics. But like, say that's right. You know, you want to get this out of the game. You've got guys sitting on the sideline for three weeks for these hip drops. You had Lachlan Fitzgibbon on the weekend, sent to the sin bin for a high shot. And he's got a $1,000 fine and he's playing this weekend. Now, we talk about yeah. duty of care. Concussion is the biggest issue in the game. We've got to protect players' heads at all costs. We've got to stamp out any head contact, blah, blah, blah. You've got a bloke that just got sent to the bin because that's how bad his high tackle was deemed to be. And he's got a $1,000 charge and he's playing the next week. You've got another bloke that got pulled along like a rag doll, thrown around the back of a player, and he's sitting yep. out for a fortnight. That's exactly the point, Barzi. That's exactly the point. Who the people that don't watch football as much as you and I do? Just to the fans, how are they supposed to comprehend that shit and understand it and think that, like, they're not doing themselves any favours? There's just no consistency at all. I think that the best that we can hope for with this perso is, you know, I mentioned that the high shots, there was a time a couple of years ago where they decided to do a crackdown and start sending everyone off. And I remember a Roosters game, especially. Oh, it's Magic Man, yeah. wasn't it? Magic Man. Just sent everyone off. Everyone but, the I mean, I remember Roosters game specifically where uh, I think it was Radley touched touched the bloke's face on the ground, like as he was coming down, like you know, just brushed his face with his like fingernail, and he got sent to the bin. And it was deemed that's that's contact with the head. You can't touch his head at all. And it was just ridiculous. It happened to every team, right? I'm not just I'm just saying. Oh, I really remember that one because I was infuriated. Yeah, it was magic round, sin bin round. Everyone went. It was just ridiculous. It was like no one had ever seen so many sin bins in a weekend of football ever. But that, then we moved on from it, and it just it stopped happening. And that happens with some of these crackdowns. So I think our only hope at the moment is that the hip drop crackdown dies down, and in a few weeks' time, we're just not seeing guys sent to the bin. Because could you imagine we get and it's a bit, it rugby league cliche, I know. Okay, I, I know I'm going to throw out a cliche here, but we get to a grand final or even just the semi-finals, and the top eight teams are playing off, and, and we get two guys in a row thrown out because of a you know an incidental tackle that's deemed a hip drop because there's pressure on the legs. I mean, we've already got nowhere we can tackle, right? Like if you hit someone around the chest, 
there's a high chance that you're going to brush their face and get penalised. If you hit someone below the knees, you're going to be in trouble, even if you do it softly. And now if you hit someone around the waist and down, you're going to be in trouble as well. You know, you, you don't have very many ways to tackle someone anymore, per se. Oh, for sure someone's going to miss a, a significant game if they keep going this way. That's, yeah, I don't know. You just want to see consistency, Barnsley, but as we know, the only consistency is inconsistency. Oh, I would like them to come out and show everybody. I would like to, yeah, 100%. I'd like them every week to have a little accountability thing. The Fox has got that many angles these days. Why can't they come out with a, the referee's boss and say, this is why this happened, and this is, and use the example. That's the example we're setting. Everyone knows what that is then. Right, eh? So that's black and white. That's why they've got it. And then come out the next week. Well, if that's different, they should be held accountable. And we have a go at the the referees and the referees boss and the NRL for their decisions and stuff. I'm going to give them like some props. I actually think that when they do that, it, it helps their cause a lot. And there has been times when the head of, the head of the referees have come out and explained the decision. And I've actually thought I don't agree with it, but I understand now. I've never heard you explain this criteria. Or, or these yeah, three things exactly. that the referee's instructed to look for at the moment to actually cop that charge. So, you know, I understand. If they came out and explained it, they would take the black and white out of it and it would probably take a fair bit of the pressure yeah, off. Yeah, but 50% of it at the moment is that it, you think it's a poor call and it shouldn't be called that way. The other 50% is you just don't understand it. So, I mean, if they can just give half of it by having some understanding, that would help everybody immensely. We need to move along. Pasco, Tiger's boss. There has been an absolute furor about his conduct in the dressing room on the field before a game when the players were warming up. And look, is it ridiculous or is it warranted? I'm going to do something completely crazy here, person, and I'm going to go into pat into bat for Pasco. I actually think, like, I think that he is a lot of the reason the Tigers are in trouble and that he shouldn't be there and he should probably lose his job. But there is a million different things that the media can make a story about to show that than him wearing some runners and a polo on the training paddock, you know, on the warm-up paddock before the game starts or being in a change room and, you know, not having a suit on or whatever. Uh, I just thought it was was absolutely ridiculous. Like, seriously. It is. Any other club, it wouldn't be. Could you imagine, like, they probably would have made a story out of it if he went out there in a suit. They would have been like, look at this bloke. What sort of messages he's sending? He goes out with his team for a warm-up and he's wearing a a suit. What an idiot. You know, they would have made a story out of this regardless of what happened. I just thought it was funny. 100%. I mean, I know where the guy's coming from. We're known from five again. He's trying to show solidarity and being there. It's a massive thing with players for the CEOs to have nothing to do with game day and that sort of stuff. It's a it's it's a it's a it's a fart in a cyclone. I think it's a massive stitch up. Like, what else, what are you going to wear? Like, if you're he was he was playing with a footy and watching his players warm up. Like, what, are you going to wear a suit for that? He had some runners on and and the team polo that they all wore on the bus together. Like, but then he's not there. And they'll take a photo of him in Fiji or something or wherever else he is, and they go, "Oh, he should be there." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's, uh, unfortunately, because the Tigers are so shithouse at the moment, <laughs> and the performances are so terrible that anything at all is just going to get picked up in the media and run with. It's like the, uh, the Anzac jersey. <laughs> uh, so that's a legitimate oh. stuff up. You know, you run, run with that story. But Yeah. 
But look, would that happen at any other club? Oh, it's it's very unprofessional. Oh, and just, seriously, would that happen anywhere could else? Could you imagine being a player so. for a team, running dead last, and having to try and figure out how to win on a football field, score some points, defend better? You're looking at tape and all this other stuff and everything else. And then you've got to deal with the executive stuff-ups as well. Like, <laughs> you just... You just give up, would you? You just retire. We've lost ten ga- ten games in a row. We're here going to Parramatta on Easter Monday, wearing an Anzac jersey. That's some PR idiot. That's <laughs> just claiming American soldiers onto it, and that's the that's the topic in the paper. That's everywhere. It's like Coruscant probably, and that must have been Bateman. I was just, what are you doing here? <laughs> Seriously. But this is kind of part of my point, right? And back to the topic of Pasco's attire and his dressing room conduct and stuff. The media, the big problem I have with the media is the manufactured storylines and the narratives. You know, like one of the reasons I like to do this podcast is I like to talk about it footy from a fan's perspective. I like to talk about it real. And I like to talk about it honestly. And there's certainly no agendas in place. Like if I wanted to do a story on on Pascal and, and what he's doing wrong at the Tigers, I could find one in about five seconds. Like, you're telling me that a Fox Sports journalist, that if they want to do a story, can't find some good stuff to talk about? Do some work journos. Like, do a proper editorial piece where you have to research for five or six days and get some numbers together and some quotes and stuff and some different things and then throw it up there and show what he's done wrong and how he's run the football club into the ground. You can show that. But instead, they waste their time on these stupid clickbait stories that absolutely mean nothing. But we'll move along to the Parramatta Eels. Recruitment bombshell. This is one of the big stories of the last fortnight. Uh, the Parramatta Eels are looking for an X factor and they're potentially looking for fullbacks. And they've spoken to Clint spoken to Clint Gutherson about it and he's all aboard and you know he's okay with it and stuff. Blown out of proportion, <laughs> but like Did you see Gut see Gutho's comment? He said to Brad Arthur said, You get me Teddy or play center. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was a bit silly. Like I just thought that the the whole the story was a bit silly. But I will say, like when it's come out that you know, or Jaden Campbell is one of their targets, I just sort of thought to myself, oh, if that's true, though, like if there's any I truth for that, so. Parramatta have to be off their heads, right? Like you want to move your captain and arguably one of your top players in your team from fullback to accommodate Jaden Campbell, who's who's been trying to avoid wooden spoons at the Titans while sitting on the bench or in reserve grade. Like, Dane, Dane Laurie's been thrown in the mix now. Like, oh, future immortal Dane back. Laurie. He's leading the Tigers into 17th place again. Like, yeah, I mean, he's going to put he's going to push Gutho into the centres. Like, come on. I think the media's just run away with this. Completely run away with it. You reckon? Like, I, I was in two minds about it because obviously I'm not going to put it past the media. But if there is any truth to this at all, Parramatta are absolutely off their heads because you, it is just I crazy. There is. Gutho's a captain. He'd be what a top five fullback in the NRL. I'd have him. There I'd have him be, about five. I think he's around yeah, five. He'd be. There wouldn't be more than four or five ahead of him. And where are you going to find someone else? Oh, Jack Whiten. So they're going to offer Jack Whiten one point two to play fullback and move Gutho to centre. Well, fuck off. <laughs> Seriously, I think the media is having a laugh with this one. Well, you're reading the run sheet, person, because Jack Whiten's the next one on here, and I was. Uh, legitimately fascinated with the storyline that the media put out on on Jack Whiten because they've come out with this you know, big exclusive on Fox and so Jack Whiten 
wants to leave. Jack White doesn't want to be there. You know? He just wants to put himself out there. Yeah, I've got to, I'll let you go, Barzi. I've got to really, I'm really strong on this one. I thought it was absolutely laughable at the picture that was painted. And I actually spoke to a few different journalists about it on Twitter and was like, it's just ridiculous that you're saying that, you know, you're trying to say that Whiten's, uh, you know, after, you know, leaving, all, all he was after, like, there was never a smarter move to make if you're in your 30s and going for your last big contract than to decline your one-year option because you're going to get a three- or four-year deal, and that's what you have to do. You have to lock in. He didn't even decline it. There's an option in his favour, and he just thought, no, I'm going to put myself out there to market and see what is out there. And I didn't even think he was doing that, week, like that this is within a, within a week, they've come back and offered him 1.2 for the next four years. Yeah, and, and obviously... He will sign that contract, and I said to like I said to so many people, he's a dollar ten to stay at Canberra. Like the own, and they go, no, 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 but he's he's declined his contract option. He wants to leave. The media spun it that because he's declined a contract option, he wants to leave. When the reality is, he had to decline that contract option to be able to negotiate a new contract. He had every right to test his value in the market. He's been at that club since he was sixteen years old. And he's taken deals probably others at times to stay there. But he's got every right to test his value in the market for what's going to be his last big contract. He's 30 this year. That's the thing. that He will never get a, a big contract again. And people need to understand, like oh, you say, you know, he's got every right to test the waters. And I agree with you. I don't even think he was testing the waters. I think that he simply declined his contract option so he can sign a new one for four years with the Raiders. Like, oh, and they've come straight back with it. Yeah, it, it's done deal. Like I don't think that he ever intended on leaving, but it's painted as oh, because he's declined his option. He had to decline his option to be able to get a new contract, including with the Raiders. Like yeah, because he had that one year in his advance. Yep, exactly. So he's. I wouldn't be surprised if they've already they, they've talked about it behind closed doors, and so decline, and then that's it. That, like seriously, this is the biggest media boot up you'll ever want to see in your life. Uh, it's, uh, I, I would be, I'd feel a bit aggrieved if I was Whiten at, um, at the, the negative coverage. And also, if you're Ricky Stewart and the Raiders, and I know no one likes to stick up for Sticky, but um, look, at the same time, you feel pretty aggrieved because it's like, why is everyone picking on us for? We're already the dog that's getting kicked by everyone at the moment. We're at the bottom of the ladder. We're trying to win games. And you're making a big deal out of the fact that Wyden declines his option because he wants a four-year deal, which we're all prepared to get to him. And within a few days, we got it to him. He's going to sign. Like, what's his story about? Um, it's. I just found it pretty bizarre in the way that the media actually portrayed it and how they turned it around. It's the biggest no story that has ever been not a story. Like, seriously. And, and like you said, he, he wanted to get a last big contract. Like, this is the thing, right, because people will argue, oh, well, he could have just taken up his option and then negotiated a new deal after that. No, what happens if he does his ACL in three months' time? What happens? He's still playing pretty good football. He's pretty much at the peak. That's it. And like you're saying, well, he like if, he, if he doesn't take that up and does his ACL. Well, I was also surprised, personally, at, like people saying, um, you know, he, he wants, you know, no one's going to pay him that money on a new deal. And it's like, yeah, but he's going to earn more money by declining that. Like, in the end, he ended up getting more money per year, right? But at the end of the day, if he was on, say, a million dollars for next year... At the end, he didn't get more money. He got more years. Yeah, that's right. 
and that's what it was about. The, at the time, it was only two. The Raiders have come back and given him four at that. He'll sign that and he'll stay there as a Raider. Now, for, for the contract itself, like, do you think it's a good move by the Raiders? Because they've been heavily criticised for paying that. I don't think they can afford to lose him. They've got no one else. He's the heart and soul of that club. This is the thing when it comes to the money value. With like, would a would a club like Melbourne or the Roosters or Penrith pay anywhere near that? No, they'd probably pay four or five hundred less for him. But a club like the Raiders, if they were to lose Whiten, where do they go? On and off the field, I'm talking, not just like on the field. Well, he he'd lead everything. He he's their leader. That's it. On and off the field, he's their rep player. He's their he's their one guy. If he was to go to the Dolphins for 1.5 a year, what what do the Raiders do? They got nothing. I think it's probably a 20% uh, overpay. But you know, for for a couple hundred thousand a year, are you really gonna let your your only star and legitimate rep player walk? Like you, you just can't afford to do that if you can, bro. So I I think that they did what they had to do. It's definitely overs, Barnsley. It's definitely overs. But clubs like the Raiders can't afford not to pay overs. No, and look, it's. As much as they might be pretty far away from winning a premiership at the moment, they, they made the top eight with a pretty similar side. And Jack Whiten, you know, spearheads that. I, I don't think he's the greatest 5'8 in the comp. I wouldn't even put him in the top few, but they don't make the top eight last year without him. He's just a footballer, but isn't he? he's, one of those, he's one of those old school, he's just a footballer. He's... He, Who's the best five eight? Not Jackie Wyden. Who's the best? <laughs> if you take him out of the Canberra's lineup, what have Canberra got? Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I, I can't begrudge him. And people need to probably remember that the salary cap's currently going up 25%. So, you know, a 1.2. I think a lot of people are getting caught up with not realising that, Barnsley. I think so too. So I think it's important to, to remember like a $1.2 million deal now. Is like someone signing a you know a nine fifty deal a couple of years ago. So you know, do you really think the nine fifty is that much for Whiten to you know be one club player and remain in Canberra? Yeah, probably a little bit, but not much. Like you know, he'd probably be the eight hundred k type of guy um, under the old salary cap. So it's really not that much you know of a stretch to say that the Raiders needed to do it to keep him, and and they're going to like this is the thing too when you're doing it if you know that. If a player is going to leave your club, it's just going to tear you down and you're not going to be able to build back up and you don't know where to go from there. You want to get that discussion done and dusted as quick as possible. You want to just shut down any suitors. You want to shut down any outside noise and you want to get the contract signed. If you go in with like a bit of a low ball offer or you go in and say, oh, look, we'll give you a million a year, the player thinks about it a bit. Other teams come to the to come to the fore and say, you know, oh, we could maybe do that. And they start talking. And then all of a sudden it gets drawn out for three, four, five, six months, maybe even lose him. You throw down 1.2 and you say, look, we're, we're playing your overs, but we're going to do it for you. It gets signed and done and no one ever gets their foot in the door to try and steal him. So I can see where the Raiders are coming from myself. And with guys like that, it's, it's the off-field stuff as well, Barnsley. Well, he's been there for that long. He is the heart and soul of that club. The value that he brings off the field is probably worth more than it is that he brings on the field. Hines has got a year left on his contract as well at the moment. He's come out and been quoted by Fox Sports at least a bit tongue-in-cheek. I would hope that they're doing it to say, I want a 20-year deal. 
Uh, obviously, he said it tongue in cheek, but just about give it to him. Oh, yeah. I'd give him a lifetime deal. <laughs> uh, I tell you He's what, so like, good. I, I got I got torn to shreds by a couple of people where I said, like, I, I think that if every team had a blank slate of a roster to work with, and you had to sign your first player, I'd be Hines for sure. I would sign Hines and. Other people laughed at it. So I was like, well, you know, he's young. He's just won the Dalian medal at his age in the first year he's playing half. Nowhere halfback. near his peak. Nowhere near his peak. And he's, he's just a big body. He's a half for a halfback. He's massive. The way he moves, the way he crosses. Like, seriously, he's something like we've never seen. Oh, I absolutely love Hines. And if you take him out of that shark side last year, they don't even make the top eight. Like, and, no they, and they finished second to Penrith. So, I mean, He's he's just an outstanding footballer. The thing that I like about him most, and this is where like you, you got to give some positive in some of these podcasts. You got to talk about the positive. Nico Hines is one of the the best ambassadors for rugby league and the Cronulla Sharks that you would be able to possibly get in the NRL. He is just a phenomenal young man. Pinup boy, markability factor is just ridiculous. But it's a so genuine person. He is just genuinely a smart, articulate, um, down-to-earth, great guy. And that is so infectious in the team. It's so infectious in your club. And it's infectious in the community. Like, I, I live around the Shire. The amount of young kids that just love Nico Hines, you know, and they, their eyes light up just to talk about him. It's just phenomenal, you know, and you just you can't buy that. No, not at all. Uh- that's he should be the pinup boy of the NRL. That's the way it is. It's like uh, there's a few players like that, and he's one of them. We need to move along. We've had a little bit of positive in our um glowing talk about wanting to give Nico Hines a 20 year deal. Barnsley spray of the week this week. Oof. Sue Lee is old news now that he's gone to rugby union, gonna leave the Roosters. He's got this year and next year left. So he's got pretty much a full two years left in rugby league before he goes off to rugby union. I, I, I'm a Roosters fan, so I'm going to find this fairly cathartic. So let me get it all out. <laughs> I am annoyed that he's leaving. I cannot imagine anybody at his age in his position giving up $1.6 million a year to go and play rugby union. He is doubling his salary doubling his salary to go and play rugby union at his age where he's never going to get paid that. Like we, we are not even approaching even under the new salary cap era, any player get paid 1.6 million, let alone a player that is nowhere near one of the top players in the competition. So I, I can't begrudge him for going. Coming through rugby school, he knows the game. But the thing that I'm so annoyed about is Phil Gould, among others, have come out and absolutely sprayed him for doing it. I, I I cannot disagree with Phil Gould more. He's come out and said that he should be made to leave now, um, that they need to be taught a lesson and it needs to be a line in the sand and players can't just think that they can up and leave and we can't open the door for rugby union poaching. It, it's absolutely ridiculous. And, and look, I'll, I'll throw this at everybody to think about if you agree with Gould. We have never, ever had a, a time in rugby league where we have had poaching raids taking all of the top players or even some of the top players. It is here and there because does anybody really think that rugby union, the failing sport that they are currently, and look, I want them to be successful, but they are failing, can afford to pay 50 NRL players one to $1.6 million each? They don't even have the money to do it. 
And then on top of that, how many guys like Sueli is at the start of his career? He can finish this, earn $6 million, and then come back and not even be 25 yet. He'll be like 24. And all these other players, like, do you really think that someone like Cam Murray um, at the peak of his career is going to turn down playing for Australia and playing for Origin and playing for his club and everything else and leave the career that he's built to go and take some money at Rugby Union? Like, there's a lot of these players that are just going to say no because I'm a rugby league player. Why do I want to do this? But Union don't even have the money per se. Like, we're talking about stuff. It's it's this big... Um, it's this massive thing where Gould has just manufactured this storyline that is just a fairy tale. It is an absolute fairy tale. Gould's said a lot of things over his year that have been great for rugby league. He's not right on this one. He's out of line. I'm oh, sorry to gasp, but he's he's got it completely, completely and utterly wrong. I think Suwali should be commended for not breaking his contract, not dragging it on, not worrying it like, oh, he shouldn't play. He's just signed it. He's going to fulfil his contract with the Roosters, not just this year, but next year as well. And then he's going to rugby. He went to a rugby school. I really, like, how anyone can begrudge a 19-year-old kid signing a $1.6 million circle to go to rugby in two years' time? He's not going tomorrow. He's not going, like, seriously. I really don't like the the, the NRL-based media parading him over this it's it's a really sore point for me well you know the other thing that it does those type of attitudes it closes the door on players like him coming back like if you were amicable and fair about it and understanding and positive then you know Sue in a few years would be like yeah, actually I want to go back to the NRL and I'm happy to but you don't want players going away and never coming back like if you want these guys back this isn't the way to treat them no, 100%. That'll push him away. He'll just go back to after the World Cup and go and get $4 million a year to play in Japanese rugby. Yeah, and, and this is the thing, and this is the stupidity in Gus's argument. If players just wanted to go and get a paycheck to play rugby union, Japanese rugby's been cashed up for years. You had Semi Radra went across for the money. He's been getting paid millions of dollars a year to go and play Japanese. He's been wanting to come back and no one wants Japanese it. rugby. Like, anybody can go over from the NRL and be successful at Japanese rugby if they want to get millions every year. But they're not all doing it, are they? So it's just this fairy tale created to try and put fear into the players, into the clubs, into the administration. Oh, I, I think it was really, really poor form for Phil Gould. Well, it's unprofessional as well. 100% it is. I think he he's a, probably one of the most influential people in the NRL. And his comments were just disgraceful, to be honest. Oh, like... He's he's done a lot of things over the years, but the way he was talking about Suwali, that oh, it's disgraceful. I'd berate him as far as you can throw it. It's it's just completely and utterly wrong. And I'd also put to you as well, per se, that um, the more bigger deal that you make of it, the more hurt that you show from this happening. The more rugby union licks their lips, and the more it gives more advertising of this yeah. and everything. It just gives them a leg up straight away. Exactly. And the only other thing that he said too, like I think that it's somewhat of a myth that we have this code war, right? And like he kept bringing it up. You don't want to give a leg up to union. You don't want, you know, in the, you know, we're on top of them. We're the better game. You don't want to give the leg up. I've never met anybody that loves rugby union passionately and loves it as their number one sport and is the same with rugby league. Like the vast majority of people either you follow rugby league or you follow union. You know, there is no stealing fans or anything like this. It just doesn't happen. 
I don't even think there was a card war in the eighties, was there? No, it's it, it's it's just it's what it's what people like. You're talking about different fan bases, and how many like, and that was the era where we took everyone great from rugby to league in the eighties when he was playing. That's <laughs> just ridiculous. It does it does bring you some interest. Like certainly, um, I remember when. When Dell went across, when Lottie went across, I had more interest in rugby union again as far as watching more games. But I was never a union fan or leaving rugby league or, you know, getting one in a war as a customer to one of the sports. It's just not there. And it's not feasible. It's not practical. And it's not feasible or practical for all our players to get stolen. Oh, it's fallen away further and further every year since then. That was probably the only time the rugby had anything decent when you had Darker McRae was running around for the Blues, and then you had Lottie and uh, Matty Rogers and Big Dill. Wendell Saylor. Yeah. But, like, going back prior to that, we took them all. We had Stuart, we had O'Connor, we had Lewis, we had Lewis, Ella Brothers. They all come across the league. That was in the 80s when it was actually a thing. It hasn't been a thing for fucking so long. That's why Phil Gill's comments were just, uh, he's out of line. Well, the last thing that we'll finish on with this is I want to give him an almighty spray for saying that Suwalee shouldn't be um, picked in first grade and, you know, shouldn't be able to play at the Roosters and then talking about the the rep teams and whatever. And Freddie came out and said, look, you know, I'll I'll pick him if I need to. The thing thing that anyone that supports that misses is that he's got two years left in the game. Now, if you're the Roosters, you're in the business of trying to win premierships. If, if you have a player that can help you win a premiership in the next two years, you're not going to drop him for some kid that isn't going to help you win that premiership. To Lee's credit, he could have just cut his ties with his contract and tried to get out of it and take him out. He hasn't done that. He's honouring. He's adamant that he's not only this year, but next year, honouring his contract he has with the wrists before he takes this one. He should be commended for that. Yeah, and look, you have people come over from... You have loan players come over all the time, right? You'll get, it might even happen with RTS. Roger Tulavazashek might come back for two years and then go back to rugby union. Now, when a contender signs Roger Tulavazashek for two years, nobody's going to come out and say, no, he can't represent, he can't do this, he shouldn't be playing, give the give the, the jersey to a kid. No, because he was signed to come in as a top-shelf footballer to help a club win a comp. That is what they're there for. Talking about it like giving other people a go or you're holding someone else back or whatever. Holding someone else back from what? Do you think the Roosters want to go from contending from a premiership to developing a few people that might be there in the future and, you know, not worry about winning? It's about winning football games. I like Swirley and I think he's a great player. So I say that with the utmost respect. What difference does it make if he leaves? Is it really going to ruin rugby league if we lose one or two players every few years? Because we're not. Of course, it's not. But the way he's the way he's done it is what should be. He's he's not only like he's getting offered massive money, which is great, great for him. But he's not jumping straight away. It's eighteen months before he goes. That's the thing that I I'm sorry, Barnes, but I can't get past it. He's getting really good. At it. Oh, he's greedy, he's jumping. He's not greedy. He's honouring his contract he's got with the Roosters for the next 18 months before he goes. How about giving the kid some credit that he's honouring that, going to a sport that he played out of school, and then he might come back. Who knows? But it doesn't matter. How about giving him some credit to saying he's getting thrown this ridiculous amount of money? 
I'm sure that they could have worked something out and the rest would have cut him ties and he could have gone next year and doing that, but he's not doing it. He wants to honour his contract. We're going to leave that one there for the spray and finish on the legend rewind. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a bit passionate about that. But That's all right, mate. That's all right. I get it. I'm a Roosters fan and I'm a bit annoyed about it too because I'd like to see him finish up his contract with us. Uh, legend rewind, Brian Fletcher. It's... I guess one of those ones person that we're going to talk about where Brian Fletcher isn't one of the best players of all time. It's not like when you do a Joey Johns or Jonathan Thurston or some of these other all time great players, but he was one of the top tier second rowers of a generation. I'll give you one thing. He was fucking a lot bigger than you think he was. He, I was going to say he is, I've met him multiple times in life. He is a massive man. He's a fucking big human. He is a massive man. Like, he stands at six foot three, 120 kilos, but I tell you what, he's bigger than that. I, I reckon he's about a, an inch taller, and I reckon he's at least 10 kilos heavier. Like he always had it back in the day it, when the game got a bit more modern in the late 90s, especially where, you know, you'd have guys getting listed at uh, five or 10 kilos trimmer than what they actually were. He was a monster. And, and honestly, like he was, he, he came through the Paddington Colts in the eastern suburbs, then played with the Roosters. So he was a local junior, um, started in the second row in the 1997 season when he debuted, 135 games for the Roosters. And he was one of my favourite forwards per se for the Roosters because it was just such an exciting player to watch. And I think that if you saw him, like you mentioned his stature, people would think, oh, he's an old school prop, you know, and he was bigger than a lot of props. He looks like a prop, but he moves so well, he could offload in tackles of five or six players on him. He'd still throw an offload. He got a good number of tries, scoring in about 10% of his games, and he was just such a great attacking weapon that couldn't be stopped. And he gave it to everyone as well, and he had the size to do it too, didn't he? He was very damaging. You talk about underrated players. um, He's one of the most underrated players that ever existed. There was a period there where he was just like a staple of the New South Wales and Test sword. He was such a good player. Uh, I think a lot of people might sort of underestimate how good he was when he, the last couple of years when he left the Roosters and went to South. And South was struggling. Yeah, and like really, it was one of those things where it's really sad how some players finish their career. Um, and at the time, South Sydney were desperate for some big-name signings and they grabbed Byron Fletcher at the end of his career for a few seasons. And he was really past his best. He had a lot of injuries catching up with him. I mean, everyone can see his, his pinky finger on the Matty Johns show, how, how bad that is. Like, he was carrying a lot of stuff. So it was very much like like Adam Muir, where he went across for the retirement fund of South Sydney at the time, which many players did. So you're right. I think a lot of people probably remember him from that. But he's, he's Roosters days. Oh, my God. He was the best second round in the comp at one point. Like, really? Jack's a sword. He was. Yeah, and he, he played 14 Origin games for New South Wales, um, did a couple of Australian kangaroo tours as well, five games of the World Cup, um, 49 games in the Super League as well, which I actually forgot about. Uh, he went to the Super League after South, played for Wigan in 2006, 2007, scored 14 tries in his 55 games over in the Super League as well, by the way. Like, he, he was very damaging, and you're right. I actually think that, at the time, he had a he had a good two or three year peak where you'd be hard pressed to find a better second row in the comp that was more damaging, especially with ball in hand. Like it was, he was so talented, wasn't he? 
with the ball. And he was one of those guys that would hold it out in his big mitt and be able to throw these passes. And I'm sure a lot of coaches hated, but he'd also do a few tries where he'd sort of reach out and do some things with the ball in the one hand. He was an amazing talent and, and one that I couldn't really compare to anyone. Like I thought about who's a modern day Brian Fletcher. And I really couldn't think of anyone per se. He's probably the last of those kind of guys that was still in the comp. Like he wasn't just a line runner. He, he was definitely a ball player as well on the edge, which sort of that that's gone from the game. But maybe uh, Wade Graham might have been the last one of those guys. It was a an edge forward that was a ball player. But, but that's exactly what Fletch was. He was a big body that could run a good line, but he had silky skills as well. You say that he was one of the last ones of his kind. You know what he reminded me of? Um, when you played, everybody that's played footy, when you get to a, a higher grade, uh, and certainly like in your you know teenagers or your 20s or whatever, you're playing some serious footy and stuff sometimes. And there's just a guy that does everything, you, that you, you know is the best player either in the opposition team or in your own team. You just know that they're the best yeah, player. but And that's why he made it our own. We didn't. But exactly. it's the best player that does everything. Because when you're playing in a park, you're not, you know, put on one part of the field. You're you're not just, you know, honing on one skill set that the coach wants you to do. If you're the best player, you know, you're doing everything. And that's what Brian Fletcher was an NRL level. Like he, he could barge up for massive hit-ups like a prop and just skittle a whole pack of forwards trying to hit him. He could barge over for power tries. He could step, he could do a whole run, he could offload, he could throw a he could pass, run a he, could throw, he could run a line. He had silky skills. He had great skills. And he could also just belt someone if he got the shits, which yeah. he did plenty of times. On oh, no. He did, he did have an anger streak in him too, which is good. I used to love that shit. But that's the, that's the thing, I guess, these days. When you, a lot of younger viewers that are listening to this and whatever would sort of watch him, him and Hondy on the, the Matty Con show and stuff, and they just think he's just a clown. But he was a bloody good footballer. He was, and it's funny that him and Hindy um, are on that show together. So that was funny because, too. yeah, I was about to say <laughs> that the pair of them is probably two of the best second row forwards that we've seen in the last of that twenty-five era, years. Hundred percent, they were. Yeah, like phenomenal. Uh, yeah, but you just watch it on that, and it's a pair of gooses, and they're funny as fuck, and you just wouldn't. But they were seriously generational footballers. Yeah, they really were, and. Uh, like Perso said, probably the last of his kind because what happened after Brian Fletcher's career is, unfortunately, we saw a lot of overcoaching, I think, in the junior ranks and stuff. Yep. So specific skill sets were identified for players and, and players were told that you, you're a workhorse player. You're going to try and keep making the meetings. I think that's probably, would that be fair to say, Barge, that Fletcher would have been one of the last of those second row forwards that could still play front row, still play second row, still ball play like the old school form that they used to play, like your talents and those guys, before it went to everything was so structured and you had to start an edge and you had to go that way. And I think he was the last of that. Oh, 100%. He, he could do everything in the pack. Uh, and more importantly, everything that he could do was at a top elite level, um, which, again, you don't get anymore because, unfortunately, kids coming through that are playing – they have one skill set that they've seen better at than others, and the coaches identify that and say, right, you're you're going to run lines as an edge back row. Another bloke's going to move to prop because even though you're playing as an edge back row, you're, you're good at making meters and you've got a big body, so we're going to make you into a prop. And you get molded into a specific type of player, and you generally only see in forwards these days a skill, a, a specific skill set of one or two high-level skills. You don't see them doing everything. Yeah. 
Brian Fletcher did everything, and he was probably one of the last um, rugby league players to do yeah, that. I, I reckon so too. I reckon he was one of the last of that brood. Fantastic career. Got to taste grand final success with the Roosters with the victory over the Warriors um, and then left the following year to captain South Sydney. So great career, plenty of games for Australia, um, also plenty of games for New South Wales as well. And we'll finish off on him for Queensland that's going to hate this. Who could forget the hand grenade celebration when the Blues <laughs> trounced, <laughs> trounced Queensland by 40-something points? The hand grenade try celebration. That was an all-timer. And I don't think we'll see one like that again. Nah. Bring back the old, um, bring back the post-trial celebrations. I used to love those. <laughs> the hand grenade was right up there. Oh, it was awesome. I think there's been one better, is it? Yeah, well, I think the same game we also had the bowling the bowling pin, did we, with uh, Ryan Gerber? <laughs> yeah. oh, I, I don't know. We'll have to finish on that note, though. But personally, thanks for jumping on a Talking Footy episode again with me. It's fantastic to have you and uh, reminisce about old players, especially. Uh, yeah, it's always going to be on Buzzy. It's... Uh... Hopefully, before the next one, the Tigers can jag something. I'll wait a couple of months then and we'll see how you go. You want to get me on back in 2027. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, everybody. You can grab us on SoundCloud, Amazon, iTunes, Spotify. You can also follow on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. And also make sure that you tune in to Supercoach Podcast if you love them, dropping every Wednesday. Uh, but there's Talking Footy ones dropping every Thursday before the games kick off for you as well. Enjoy the footy this round. Some cracking matches. Can't wait to chat to everyone again real soon. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on. Go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on. Get paid.